you did miss uh, last week and uh, you weren't here and you want to kind of see where we've kind of got to and why we're doing a series of all things in Song of Songs, uh, let me just read, if I can, a quote from uh, one of the commentators that I was reading, Mark Dever. Look, he said this. The most important revolution of the 20th century is the sexual revolution. Simple changes have had profound effects. Contraception replaced conception. The price of sexual activity became less considerable. The pleasure seemed more separable from the potential responsibility. Contraception and abortion clinics replaced schools and orphanages. A license was given to bend every part of our lives to serve ourselves. And since that time, divorce, remarriage, abortion, pre- and extramarital sex and homosexuality have been accepted by an increasing proportion of the public. And alongside this, porn, once restrained to the private, is now talked about freely on chat shows, normalised in comedy, and is very, very big business. Look, brothers and sisters, uh, we live and work in this arena, and I call it an arena simply because I think if we're trying to fight to honour the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives, and that is what we're called to do as Christians, this is an arena which we need to fight The pressures to conform are huge, aren't they? And we feel that and we know that. And how kind, therefore, that God speaks into what is quite a confused, destructive kind of malaise of pseudo-erotica that's all around us, showing us what true love and what true romance uh, really is. And last week, what we, uh, we looked at was a was very well uh, kind of known, uh, I think uh, by some people who have looked at this book before. It, it's the prologue, it's the introduction to the book. The song begins, as we saw, with anticipation, longing, if you like, was the, the big theme in that part of the song. We heard the woman uh, anticipating the man. And likewise, the other way around. The language was lively. It's quite exciting at times. It's graphic, yes, in that poetic sense, but it's not smutty. The context is worth noting as well. They aren't married at this stage. But love has been aroused in both the man and the woman. And they are in this exclusive and committed uh, relationship uh, with an intended outcome. One intended outcome. And that is marriage. We got to the end of the passage in chapter 2, verse 7. Do cast your eyes down that. It's the refrain of the whole book. It pops up three times. Uh, Look what happens there. The woman is clear. The warning comes to her friends, the daughters of Jerusalem. Don't open this beautiful can of worms, she said. No, not quite. But, you know, get the idea. Unless you're fully prepared for your heart to be truly wrung. Yes, to awaken love is a wonderful and a beautiful thing, but there is a cost to it. And it must be preserved for the right time with the singular one you are to marry. And so practically, a few of you may comment about this to others, uh, and I thought I'd just address this uh, as we start today. You know, if you're in the early stages of getting to know someone, you're dating, you're going out, whatever you call it, enjoy it. You know, get to know that person, develop friendship, speak in terms of commitment and share your love for the Lord Jesus uh, with each other. But can I suggest that the language of chapter one, um, I think probably should be reserved for the one that you are definitely to marry. Uh, Don't let intimacy uh, and romance come before your commitment to each other. Don't let, for example, a physical affection dominate. 
So would you talk to your boyfriend or girlfriend in this way at the early stages of a relationship? You've been out here first date, oh, second date comes. Well, let me describe you in these ways. Let me turn to Song of Songs 1. I don't think so. I don't think that'd be wise. Heed the warning of chapter 2, verse 7. But also don't freak out. And when the time comes, don't be a British prude. When you're close to marriage, begin to delight in the one that you love and express your love in exclusive and affectionate terms, showing your commitment and longing for intimacy. So that's where we've come from. Uh, Just a quick note from last week. Uh, Look where we're heading. If you look down in your outlines, you'll see, hopefully your Bibles are open, page 681. Uh, And if you're new to church things, if it's your first week here, I hope you're hugely welcome. You've come to an extraordinary time. Uh, That is to be looking at Song of Songs. Very few people preach it at all. And I don't know why I am. But there we go. Um, So here we are. If if you're new to the Bible and new to Bible things, uh, the big numbers are the chapter numbers, the small numbers are the verse numbers. And if I point out those, you know where you're heading. And if you're not sure, just nudge the person beside you. They'll tell you. Look at the outline, true love. And then we get true love lost, and then we found uh, right at the end. Now, some of you will know my musical tastes. I like slightly melancholic folk music from the back and beyond of Yorkshire, or blues music, um, and very quite miserable things. By contrast, our women's worker, Linda, who was out here earlier, quite extraordinary. She just likes, you know, dance anthems that you jump up and down to and like they make the floor rumble and anything like that. Uh, Quite extraordinary, but there we go. But what we have here today is a bit like that. It's contrasting songs. Our passage begins, if you can imagine, whatever your favourites are, you know, some exciting love ballads, you know, you know what you like and you're probably humming along to themselves, you know, right now. But then the main part of the song today Chapter 2, verse 14, through to chapter 3, verse 3. It it, it is just a blues song. It's melancholic. Love is lost. Something's wrong. And then at the end, Linda comes in. Linda's there. She's got her dance anthems. All the euphoric drum beats kind of like, kind of completely encompass us. Love is found and it's celebratory and it's exciting. Let's go, shall we? Uh, Look, uh, first point, true love, uh, verses uh, 7 to 13 of chapter 2. The interesting thing about, I I really battled with the titles of this, uh, but, you know, the the first time, true love, it's such a misunderstood phrase, isn't it? It's kind of the stuff of fairy tales, you know, where true love's kiss awakens the princess, and it's all exciting. But back in reality, true love isn't just the preserve of the married, Some here will have experienced it and now no longer. Some will be for longing for it in their lives. And for some people, they will be married and longing for it too. But even in the most committed marriages, you must understand that it's easy for love and romance to be lost. Uh, What we have, uh, uh, what we'll see in just a moment, sorry, um, will, will give us a glimpse, I think, into what true love is. Let's be realistic, though, as we look into it. Uh, It's not the whole picture. Uh, It's a helpful pointer for discernment and encouragement, particularly if we're in a relationship. Uh, And firstly, we'll see in verses 8 to uh, 9, true love will include some kind of longing. Let's have a look at that, shall we? Uh, We've already seen this last week with that anticipation of uh, chapter 1. She's anticipating him coming. She longs for him. 
true love, you see, and romance pulls your heart and your mind to the one that you love. You think about when you first had a relationship, you had a relationship, um, the kind of stupid, irrational things that you did to be with the one that you love. You know, how many, how, how long a journey did you do one time uh, to see them for about four minutes and then you got back on the train to go somewhere else? You know, how kind of irrational was your spending when you first met this person? Uh, a number of you are smiling and going a bit red and I kind of guess, you know, that, that's the kind of thing you did. You, you went out in all kinds of weather. I remember Sarah and I once, went, we, we were trying to celebrate her birthday and we, we thought we'd better go out for dinner. We ended up walking in the snow for about five hours to go to a restaurant that was closed and then we had to walk back again. Uh, it's the kind of stupid things you do, isn't it? Look at verse 8. Listen, my beloved, look. Here he comes. Leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. Now, I'm not sure that many of you will use this kind of language as your spouse uh, comes home. Hey, look, kids, my young stag, a gazelle, bounding up the streets of Earlsfield as he comes off the train, leaping down the pavement towards me. I wonder if you peer out of your curtain and say that. But do you peer out of your curtain for your young stag? See, we can enjoy the imagery here, but the point is simple, isn't it? True love longs for their love. And I wonder, do we still have that longing, that just can't wait to be with the other person? And if not, when do we lose it? And how can we foster it? We, near, we now hear words of the man, but on the lips of the woman. Do you notice that? Uh, she's remembering his words and the excitement of his life with her. And, and this is where we kind of see in verses 10 to 13, there's a liveliness. There's whole ways we could have described this, but I've gone with the L's. Um, so, you know, there's a real kind of engagement in everything in life. Verse 10. My beloved spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. Rainy seasons have gone, verse 11. Man walks down the road, flowers in bloom, birds singing, doves cooing, whatever that sounds like. But it's good. And that's the point. True love and romance does that to even the dullest of us. You know, if you spend your days in front of spreadsheets, if you're in love, you actually see beauty in Excel green. You know, it's all sorts of things. You, you see everything in bright technicolour. And that's what it, love is designed to do in us. It, it's to help us see beauty and arouse it in us. The man's life here, in all of its areas, has just walked under it. It's lively. His experience of life is just heightened. And he invites his love to join him in that. Verse 10, he says, come with me. Again, verse 13, the repeat is there, you know, arise, come with me. 
As one commentator put it, he said there's a bit of a cycle going on here. And you may have noticed it. There's a longing and then there's an inviting. There's a waiting and then fulfilment. Longing, inviting, waiting, fulfilment. And the waiting provides satisfaction in the fulfilment. We're not to get everything on a plate, and that's not what we see here, is it? We need the the excitement, the fun of chasing, and being chased, the wooing and all that kind of stuff. The problem occurs when we stop inviting this kind of thing in our relationships. And when we do, everything goes a bit Narnia-like, doesn't it? Always winter, never Christmas. And despite all the pressures of life, marriage should be this continual cycle of longing and inviting uh, of waiting and then fulfilment. Uh, you'll need to do it in your own way, loving and serving your love. I was reading uh, this week that the man can be understood, uh, and I can see where it kind of, you know, the repeat of verse 10 and verse kind of 13, it, one commentator said, it's kind of like he's begging a bit. Now, I, I can see that a little bit. He is sometimes here, come with me, come with me, arise, come with me. But begging, I think, is a bit of an ugly word, isn't it? it? It seems a little bit too desperate. But the man is certainly inviting. He is making very clear his desires for this woman again and again and again. And he's not too proud to say it numerous times. And remember, the man isn't speaking here. This is the woman uh, remembering the words of the man. And therefore, you must understand the impression that the man's words have had in the heart and the mind of the woman. She's remembering his desire for her even while they're apart. She's remembering, this guy really wants me because he stated it a number of times. Do you see the impression it leaves in her? The effect of continually expressing your affection. True love will look like this. There will be a longing, but also a liveliness that will involve continually expressing your affection for your love. Okay. We all know, you know, kind of that was nice and you know, it's good, wasn't it? But that's not reality, is it? For so many of us, it, 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 being in a relationship can be hard work at times. So what happens when true love is lost? Let's look at that second point. Verses 14 of chapter 2 through to chapter 3. Verse 3. Now we must remember, again, this is a song. This is the blues part of the song. Um, You know, the tempo goes down. We're in my musical territory now. Somehow we don't know exactly how, but somehow the romance has been interrupted in some way. Uh, Look at verse 14, the man speaking here. My dove in the cleft of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom, she speaks. My beloved is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the rugged hills. We see here, verse 14, he misses her terribly. And he goes and searches for her. Again, the the longing is there, longing to see her, hear her voice. 
Love has been lost and it is absolutely ripping him to shreds. I could uh, mention all sorts of numerous songs. My favourite one at this point would be Ain't No Sunshine When He's Gone by Bill Withers. That's a classic, isn't it? You know, but that's it. This is it. And I'm not going to sing it. But the same is true for her, isn't it? Look at chapter 3, verse 1. All night long on my bed I looked for the one my heart loves. I looked for him, but I did not find him. I will get up now and go about the city, through the streets and the squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him, but I did not find him. Well, the watchmen found me as they made the rounds in the city. Have you seen the one my heart loves? All night long. She takes huge risks. I hope you realise, you know, for a young woman to go out into a city at night on her own, really dangerous. She's taking big risks. But love is irrational in that way, isn't it? She will do anything to find the one her heart longs for. And again, we don't know what has separated this man and this woman. Um, But three things that they do when they can't find their love. You'll see them on your outlines there. Three things, I guess, would be good for us uh, if we find in our relationships things have got stale. Oh, you may be sharing the same bed, but there's a big distance between you. Firstly, catch. Catch the foxes. Look back at this, chapter 2, verse 15. Catch... For us, the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards. Now, some think that um, he's pointing to their literal vineyards. Yeah, that's the kind of context. It's, um, you know, arable farming and so on. But if you were to flip over to chapter 7, verse 12, look there if you want. The vineyard there again is used as an image of their blooming love. Their blossoming love. Now, we don't know what, but something has happened to ruin the romance and the love that they were enjoying. There's a separation. And the image of the fox here is really, really helpful. Because the foxes are tiny. There's a little fox, isn't it? They're tiny and they they come into the vineyard, but they're ruining it. They're eating up the beautiful harvest. And the parallel, I think, is really simple. Something little has come in. And is beginning to ruin their love, their romance. Now we're not sure if it's you know kind of stereotypical, you know, someone didn't put the toothbrush away or use my toothbrush or didn't put the toilet seat down, you know, all those kind of things that we see. Um, we can laugh about, but you know, they can kind of get in there in relationships. We don't know who is to blame here, and that's not the point. You know, perhaps he said something. You know how guys do, they just don't think and they just don't, it, said it in the wrong way, wrong tone of voice, neglected to say something when she's had a haircut or I mean, all those kind of things. Perhaps she's given him a funny look or been sulking about something. Yeah, perhaps he's promised to be home again, he didn't quite get home at the right time. All of these things, little foxes. But it's so often the little things, isn't it? One of you gets dressed up, you know, for you planned a bit of an evening to find that the other person's invited all their friends around. They're watching the sport or some beers open or some catch the foxes. Catch the foxes. Stop the little things from becoming big things. Oh, don't sulk and sulk some more. Don't punish that the other one, the, your spouse, because you know they've done one thing wrong. Don't punish them for that, and don't barter. Say if you don't re- you sort that out in your life, I'm not going to give you that, and you know, vice versa. Catch the foxes, 
and do the little things well. You know, say thank you. Forgive them when they do that little thing that doesn't annoy you. And don't let those little things ruin the vineyard. One person I was reading noted that the language, it's really important here, isn't it? It's plural. Do you see that? Catch for us. It's amazing when something little has annoyed you in a relationship. What do you start thinking? You always start thinking, oh, look what they've done to me. Me. It's all about me, individual. And look what he says. He said, catch for us. Do this for us together. To help us. He's asking her to do what is good for both of them and vice versa. And note here, uh, he's not blaming. Rather, he's just trying to bless them. Or both of them are trying to bless each other for, for both of them's sake. So catch the foxes. Secondly, commit, verses 16 and 17. Look, cast your eyes down there. We've read it, but have a look at it. Well, this phrase will come again um, in chapter 7, verse 10. But my beloved is mine and I am his. What is she doing by saying that? Love is lost, but yet, you know, she, there's some separation here. We're not sure what's happened. But what's happening? She's affirming and confirming her commitment to her love. It's not some sort of sickly renewing of vows, you know, or whatever that may be. She's restating her lifelong commitment, which is the imagery that she's then picking up in verse 17. Have a look at that, you know, until the shadows flee. It's for all time. And why do we need to do this in relationships? Well, firstly, I think because restating uh, our, our commitment to one another, we re- will rekindle a mutual joy that you once had. It's so lovely, isn't it? To hear someone, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, I'm for you, I love you. Until the shadows flee. I guess in so doing that, you know, it will keep the eyes, the heart, the hands from wandering. And we must do this, not just at the start of our relationships, but every single day, and especially when troubles come. Have you uh, seen it? It's interesting, isn't it? She's, she's still referring to her love as the young stag, because to her, whatever the trouble is, that's what he is to her. Now, this renewing of commitment is so important because the dizzying romantic feelings that you have, and they're wonderful feelings at the beginning of a relationship, they don't last. What does last is the commitment to that relationship that will fuel and rekindle the romance and the love. Remind your love that you've chosen her, that you've chosen him. That you made a commitment, I am my beloved's and he is mine. Good to remember that, isn't it? As you wake up each morning and remind each other. Thirdly, uh, in this point, uh, chase. You see that in verse uh, 1 to 3 of chapter 3. There's an element of risk, as as I said, in what she's doing here. She's desperate to try and find her love. And she ends up with the police, essentially the watchmen who would go around the city to protect people like that uh, within that kind of dangerous culture, city culture. She's chasing though. She's desperate to find her love, to get him back. And there is an appropriate chasing. And we love it, don't we? If someone chases after you, 
in that we're not talking stalking here, so you know, make a, a clear distinction there. But, but look at the lengths that she's willing to go. She's willing to catch the foxes, to chase her lover. And it's lovely to be chased for both sexes. And for, sometimes we make far too many excuses. But if you find yourself in a period when, when, when love and romance seem to have gone, start chasing each other again. Go to any lengths to get them back. Choose each other, but chase affection in each other. Now, that was the blues part of the track. And here we get Linda. She's about to put an iPod on. We're about to get some thumping drum and bass. Uh, because look what happens when love is found. What should we do when we get the romance and the love back? True love found. Verses 4 and 5 of chapter 3. Very quick points, if I may. Firstly, hold. Look at verse 4. Scarcely I passed them, that's the watchman, when I found the one that my heart loves, I held him and would not let him go till I brought him to my mother's house. It's poetry, okay? So it's not this kind of awkward dragging him down the streets. But, you know, it's poetry. Work with it. Uh, Look what she doesn't do. You know, there's been some kind of separation. There's been some difficulty. We're not sure what it is, but she doesn't moan. She doesn't complain or criticise The woman has the sense at this point to keep her mouth shut and not point out his failings. She just gets hold of him and goes back to delighting in his love. Secondly, herald and heed the warning, verse 5. It's a refrain, as I said, it keeps coming back. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Once again, you can see her here. She's heralding those around her. She's telling, warning those who are listening. Again, by a charge or an oath here, by the does and the gazelles. Now, that's actually probably a way of... She is referring to God himself, because that's who we make oaths to, only to God... And in Hebrew, it's a play on words because the does and the gazelles, the two words for there, put, bring them together, they sound like a, a, for like a title for God himself. It's a, it's a kind of funny play on words, but that's what she's speaking of here. And, but the same warning comes when she finds her love. Do not awaken love until it's right time. Why? And she's saying, you know, look what she's had to go through. She's saying to the daughter of Jerusalem, don't put yourself through this. If we lose love before its time, you're going to suffer a great pain. Many of you will know what that feels like. You've broken up with someone. It's a terrible pain. And the warning here is to not pursue love outside of the bounds of biblical marriage and the promises and commitments of marriage. Yes, date, but with one sole purpose, to marry. So what about for us? I realise that if you kind of here and you're married, you kind of, you've had a good spade load so far of uh, stuff that you can think through, you can pray through, and so on. But what about those who perhaps who are dating right now? Notice that this is a, a, in a context of pre-marriage, That's the situation here. Yes, love has been awakened. There's lots of anticipation. There's lots of longing. It's all exciting. It's her stag and she's very excited about that. But right at the heart of this relationship is commitment. 
They haven't put intimacy before it, have they? Let me encourage you today, if that is something that you have done, stop. If you are a Christian here today, and you have put physical intimacy before commitment in your relationship, stop. Heed the warning here. Long to honour your Heavenly Father. Come back to Him and repent. And know that He is a loving and a forgiving God. And he will bring more fulfillment and so much more excitement in your life if you're willing to stop and willing to wait. Don't waste what you have on others. Save it for the one. And I guess many of us, you you might have failed God in this area. Now, if that is you today, don't resent the work of God's word and spirit right now in your hearts. Trust him. Come to your senses and turn back and run into his forgiving and loving arms. Uh, maybe just a word to those who would love to be dating and love to be in relationships, but who aren't. You haven't been chosen, if you like, in the, in the, to use the language here. Uh, a couple of things, if I may. Firstly, note that these desires, they're right and they're beautiful. The desire for intimacy is from God given as part of his intricate and wonderful creation. Secondly, be careful not to believe the lie of the world around you, saying that who you are, who your worth is found in, your identity is based on, don't believe the lie that everything out there is saying, that is dependent on the one who's choosing you, the man or the woman who is choosing you. That is the false idol of this world, and it's absolute rubbish. It's making something that is good and beautiful into something that is God-like. And if we do that, sadly, we just end up so dissatisfied, so frustrated. And the net result is usually that you think of yourself as unworthy because no one has chosen you in that particular way. And therefore, thirdly and most importantly, single or married, recognise that someone far more important far greater than any earthly lover. Someone has chosen you. And his name is Jesus. Ephesians 1 verse 4 to 6 tells us that we are beloved, the same language that's used here, and that we are chosen before the beginning of time. God loves you and has loved you and always will love you because he's chosen you. You don't deserve it. It's an act of his grace and kindness But he's chosen you. You are precious and you are beautiful. God chose sinners just like you and just like me. And God has chosen to love us even when we have totally messed up, even in this area of love and romance and so on. We perhaps have ruined our vineyard with God, but God has caught the foxes, to use the language here. He sent the watchman. And delights in calling you his beloved. His love can never be lost. You must trust him and turn to him and you will never be separated from him. Now let's be realistic. Monday night will come and you can still be lonely. That's the reality. This, This life is hard at times. But when... 
those things come, we must begin to cast our eyes back to the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in his ultimate love. And you'll notice that the more that you do that, the less lonely you'll become. Because one day you'll be then realising that your whole eternity is pointing towards that day when he'll wrap you in your arms, in his arms. And at that moment you'll never be lonely again. Can I uh, just finish? I, I realise I've gone over time by about one and a half minutes, but I'm going to carry on. I, I, I read something at the end of this, and I, I, I kind of think we're a few years away from this. But we must not be naive and nonchalant. Just a word to parents, if I may. Uh, I, in preparing for these talks, I was both reading and uh, I listened to one thing on this, and I was horrified to, to hear what kids, particularly obviously my boys of their age, but many of your kids in a few years, are having to go through and experience in this area. Let me, two stats from the United States. I, I guess we're not too far behind, let's be realistic. 35% of teenage girls have depression clinically. 40% of teenage girls experience unwanted physical intimacy. That's your little girls right now for many of you parents. The point I want to say is this, two, seven, and three, five, they're not ready. They're not ready physically, they're not ready emotionally. I do want to say much more about this. Um, I've been wondering this week, and I've been chatting to Paula about it, our children's worker, and just wondering where we need to have a bit of a get-together with parents soon, and I can perhaps spell out a lot more, which I've been reading on for us on this area. But let me just say this as we close. We must protect them and we must train them. If you're a parent here with girls, a time will come soon when you'll need to protect them and fight for them. And you're the ones who need to do it. Women of the church, be a big sister to the other girls in this congregation as they grow up and help them learn, support their parents and men for the same. Do it for our boys, please. And parents, we must train our boys. We must be careful they don't learn how to be with, with, with girls and treat girls by what they see on things like social media. The pressure's relentless. We must get into our children's lives and we must say no to them. Teenagers are not ready for what we see here in Song of Songs. And if we're honest, many of us here have the scars to prove it. So don't let the children out there make the same mistakes that you did. We must train our boys to have self-control. We must tell them how to wait. Show them biblically the honour and the glory of waiting. And the beauty of waiting. And we must show them what it is to be a true man of God. And to honour and cherish women. Let me quote, if I may, uh, to finish. This is a, a, from a book, and I think it's paraphrased, I'm not sure it's totally right, but um, it, it was of a men bringing up your daughters, and I know that applies to a lot of people here, and I wanted to finish with this. If you have girls, please realise that no one will protect your daughters like you can and ought to. Teach girls self-respect, teach her that her heart is not to be given away cheaply, and that she is precious to you and precious to God. And when she dates, pick her up, eyeball that boy and tell him that you are her protector. 
Do it with weights in your hand if you must. Yes. Tell him in that he must come into the house and honour the family first before he takes your daughter out. I wonder how many of you girls would have appreciated that. Let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we do see the beauty here, and I pray that many of us, if we're in relationships, that we strive uh, to apply these words into the relationships that you have ordained for us. But there will be people here who hear this uh, with a, a note of pain and sadness, and I pray for them particularly that they would see that it is beautiful, but they would long for the greater beauty and the greater intimacy and the greater love found in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we as a church be those who love one another and encourage one another in this to see that even if we have relationships or if we don't, our first love, our greatest joy, the, the, the true intimacy of our lives must be found in Jesus Christ alone. I pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.